Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a bite-sized podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I visit London's most luxurious outdoor dining experience, the Barclay Beach Huts, risk never being allowed into Italy again by answering a listener's controversial question about pasta in Ask Hugel, and the heroes of hospitality who are making it possible for us to eat out again are my treat of the week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a restaurant in some way, whether it's one I've actually been to recently or a home delivery, be that a ready-to-eat takeaway or make-at-home meal kit. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that clear, like I do on my social media channels. And in all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. I was invited to dinner at the Barclay Beach Huts as part of a group of friends who are, like me, lucky enough to be thought of as friends of the hotel. As a social occasion, there was no expectation that it would be reviewed, and the dishes we were served were exactly the same as they would be for paying guests. You can rest assured that everywhere I review, I recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations, this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that out of the way, it's time for this week's review. In that strange between-lockdowns window of a few months last summer, when restaurants were allowed to sort of open, but with a list of restrictions that seemed to change by the minute, many operators sensibly decided that the safest thing to do was to open up outside. With larger groups allowed outdoors than in, and many customers saying they simply felt safer eating al fresco, it was a win-win for anywhere that could to make the most of any outdoor space they might have. Nowhere did that with quite the same level of creativity and fun, however, as the Barclay, the fashionable five-star hotel, sister to legendary Claridge's and the Connaught in Knightsbridge. Home over the years to some of London's most famous restaurants, not to mention some of the country's most celebrated chefs, the Barclay's general manager, Knut Wilde, had the inspired idea of transforming what was previously used as a car park into an elegant outdoor dining area. In its first iteration throughout last summer, it was called The Garden, a Balearic-inspired terrace with a menu of the kind of grilled dishes and colourful salads that just cry out for magnums of chilled rosé. Then in winter it was, sadly only briefly, reincarnated as The Winter Garden, with cosy heated chalets and an apres-ski-style menu based around raclette. But it's in its third and newest incarnation as the Beach Huts that I like it best, and where last week I enjoyed an absolutely fabulous meal that I want to tell you all about. Tucked around the side of the Barclay on Wilton Place are five colourful candy-striped beach huts, each named after a popular seaside resort. Cleverly designed to provide protection from the elements while being open enough to meet the regulations as to what counts as outside, the huts, ours was Southwold, are fitted out with cosy cushions, porthole-style mirrors and anchor-shaped coat hooks. A particularly lovely touch is that at each place setting there's a postcard which the Barclay will post for you so you can send a wish-you-were-here note to someone special. And you'll wish you were here because, honestly, the food is spectacular. The focus of the menu, as you'd expect, is on seafood, and we started with one of the best seafood platters I've ever had. A perfect dressed crab with fried breadcrumbs for crunch, 
the freshest rock oysters to eat with lemon, shallot vinegar, Tabasco sauce or au naturel, sweet langoustines and the plumpest prawns with a spicy Marie Rose sauce for dipping them in, chilled mussels and clams on the shell with golden yellow saffron aioli, and half a grilled lobster simply brushed with melted butter. Huge scallops baked in their shells with caper and garlic butter were served with the coral attached. It always makes me a little sad when restaurants remove the coral, as with its creamy richness it makes such a nice counterpoint to the texture and taste of the scallop. Fillets of grilled sea trout, which given the choice I prefer to salmon, come with a cleverly balanced crunchy salad of shaved fennel and orange. And there are more langoustines, this time split lengthwise and grilled to a light char before being bathed in garlic butter. It's not all seafood. We also share a huge one kilogram tomahawk steak cut into thick slices and served Latin American style with a herb and garlic packed chimichurri. And we managed to eat some vegetables too, including tender stem broccoli with piquillo peppers and a layered salad of beef heart tomatoes and charred peach, an unexpected but very successful combination. Because we're at the seaside, or as near to it as you can get in SW1, there has to be ice cream for afters, and this being Knightsbridge, sweetie, it comes in the form of both very opulent soft-serve 99s with a choice of flakes and sprinkles, and assorted flavours of ice cream sandwiches using homemade gelato. There's also a rather fun-eaten mess, served in a kilner jar, which your party are then asked to nominate someone to shake like a cocktail. To drink... You can choose from a list of British sparkling wines, champagnes and the Barclays wine list. We drank a rather wonderful 2019 by far Viognier from Geelong in Victoria, Australia. Service is impeccable and for a five-star hotel, refreshingly informal. The design of the beach huts means that plates need to be passed along the table and back and shared around. So it really does feel like you could be having a beach picnic on the east coast of England, say, rather than on a side street a stone's throw from busy Hyde Park Corner. And that's the magic of the Barclay beach huts. It feels like an escape, a mini break to the seaside without the traffic jams and sand in your toes. Of course, magic like this doesn't come cheap. But nor is it ridiculously expensive either, and certainly not for food of this quality. The seafood platter is £49 per person, a very typical price, and that one kilo tomahawk steak, more than enough for six people to share, is £98, again a price that wouldn't be out of place anywhere. Side dishes are £7, which actually felt on the low side for some of them. To secure one of the beach huts there's a minimum spend of £500, But that works out at only just over £80 a head, which, whether you like it or not, is pretty standard these days. And think what you're saving on train fares. If that's beyond your budget, or you don't think you can get a group of six together, don't worry. As well as the beach huts themselves, there are some smaller tables, as well as oyster bar-style counter seating, which you don't need a booking for. And there's a light lunch menu, available from 12 until 4, with things like lobster rolls and place butties, for as little as £12. I loved the Barclay Beach Huts. It's clever, it's fun, and the food is just phenomenal. It's everything I love about a restaurant, to the last detail. Like the previous pop-ups at the Barclay, it will only be there for a limited time, so while you can, and if you can, I can't recommend highly enough that you pack your bucket and spade and holiday in Knightsbridge this year. For all information, visit the-barclay.co.uk. 
Each week, I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week's question comes from Andrew in Milan, who says, Ciao, Hugel. Since moving to Milan two years ago, I've been spoiled for choice when it comes to wonderful food, particularly pasta. The choice of shapes is quite dizzying at times and all seem to be served with a specific sauce. But if I'm honest, apart from the shape, I can't say I notice any difference. Is there a reason for having particular pastas with particular sauces? And more to the point, does it actually matter? Oh, Andrew, this is normally the point where I say thank you so much for your question. And I am grateful to you for listening and for writing in. But this question has the potential to be so controversial that despite the fact that, as with most things, I have a view on it, such is the risk of causing offence or even a small war that I'm a little frightened to answer it. You see, Italians, perhaps more so than any other nationality, are very particular about and protective of their food. There's an entire Twitter account, Italians Mad at Food, which you can find at at @italiancomments dedicated to sharing examples from across the internet of Italians castigating non-Italians for posting pictures or even talking about Italian food that's been prepared incorrectly. And it's absolutely brutal. On top of the fear, it's also very hard to give a definitive answer to your question, Andrew, because of how hyper-regional Italian food is. Particular pastas and sauces and the pairings of which pastas with which sauces are specific to particular regions. But then even within those regions, things might be different from one city or even one village to another. To give you just one example, this is what Wikipedia says about puttanesca. Recipes may differ according to preferences. For instance, the Neapolitan version is prepared without anchovies, unlike the version popular in Lazio. Spices are sometimes added. In most cases, however, the sugo is a little salty from the capers, olives and anchovies and quite fragrant from the garlic. Traditionally, the sauce is served with spaghetti, although it is also paired with penne, bucatini, linguine and vermicelli. Got that? So perhaps the safest and I hope most helpful answer I can give Andrew is to say that there is absolutely an argument that some types of pasta work better with particular sauces than others. Long pastas, your spaghetti, linguine and capelli d'angeli, work best with oily, creamy, smooth sauces which coat the full length of every strand. Wider ribbons, tagliatelle and pappadelle, say, go best with coarser, chunky sauces like meaty ragouts. Tubes, whether narrow penne or wider rigatoni, are brilliant at sucking up chopped or mint sauces like arrabbiata and amatriciana, or indeed bolognese. And open shapes, like conchiglie, shells, or pacchieri, short, wide, flat tubes, are great with a kind of soupier sauces in which they take the role almost more of garnish than vehicle. So to deal with the specifics of your question, Andrew, is there a reason for having particular pastas with particular sauces? Italians would emphatically say si, although they might never agree about which ones go with which. Is there a logic to it? Also, sort of yes, for the reasons I've given. But does it matter? Well, no, it doesn't. The very first question I answered on Hugh's Joy of Food was about whether there was a right way and by extension a wrong way to eat scones. And I said then that the only right way to eat any food is the way that you enjoy it. So if you want penne with your carbonara, orecchiette with your pesto, fusilli with your puttanesca or pesto with your rigatoni, just do it. Just don't let Italians mad at food see you doing it. 
If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I share something food or drink related that's been putting a smile on my face. Usually, that's something I've actually had to eat or drink, or perhaps something I've read or somewhere I've shopped. But this week, for the first time, it's people. Specifically, all the amazing people who work in hospitality and have thrown open their doors to the hungry, thirsty hordes of us who've been racing back to restaurants, at least the ones with outdoor space, since they reopened last week. I'm sure it will come as no surprise to any of you that I just couldn't wait to get back in a restaurant after four months of not being able to. So much so, in fact, that my first booking last week was breakfast at the Corinthia Hotel in London at 9am on Monday the 12th, the first day hospitality was able to emerge from its long enforced hibernation. Of course, it was lovely not only to be seeing a very dear friend for the first time in months, but also to be able to do so over a lobster omelette. But what was really lovely was seeing just how happy all the staff were to be doing what they love again. I went out for dinner or drinks every night last week, and without exception, every single member of staff I encountered was palpably pleased to be working again. They were taking pleasure in things we'd all usually take for normal. The clatter of cutlery, the clinking of glasses, the pouring of drinks. One thing I particularly noticed was how keen everyone was to chat – The usually cursory, how are you, became a question people actually wanted to know the answer to and to be asked and answered themselves. This being Britain, much fun was made of talking about the weather. When I woke up on Monday and it was snowing, my friend and I WhatsApped each other to discuss whether we still wanted to go ahead with our breakfast, and it was a vociferous yes. But we at least had a choice. Hospitality staff on duty that day had to go to work regardless, and many business owners' hearts must have sank thinking they'd have to close before they'd even reopened. But to a man and woman, despite the gloves and scarves, you wouldn't have known for a second that it was anything other than business as usual. The same was repeated everywhere I went, from the Barclay Beach Huts to Joy, which I reviewed a few episodes ago, to above the Stag Theatre in Vauxhall's new terrace bar, one of my favourite gay venues, Koo Bar in Chinatown. If there was any rustiness, and for the most part there wasn't, it could easily be forgiven. I think I'd probably forget my own name if I hadn't used it for four months, never mind what was on the cheese board. The fact that the welcome everywhere I went was so warm and the service so polished just goes to show the dedication and professionalism of people who've chosen hospitality as a career. Those smiles were on some very brave faces too. A staggering statistic to emerge this week is that nearly half of all jobs lost in this country last year were in hospitality, a shocking 355,000. So everyone who was working this week must probably have wondered at some point whether they'd actually have a job to come back to. And if they did, they will have found that colleagues, friends, did not. Hospitality has by any metric been one of the industries hardest hit by the pandemic. And it's people the worst affected by job losses, financial difficulties and poor mental health. But the show must go on and the show is going on. Smoothly, spectacularly, smilingly, the hosts, waiters, bartenders, chefs, 
kitchen porters, cashiers, managers and proprietors are ready to welcome customers again with open arms. They really are my heroes. So as you return to restaurants, please treat the staff with the respect they deserve. Most importantly of all, show up for your booking. And if you really can't, at least have the decency to let the restaurant know. No shows where customers book a table then simply don't turn up are crippling to the industry at any time, but even more so now where capacity is reduced and there's less walk-in trade to fill an empty table. If something goes wrong, for goodness sake, tell the staff not the internet. Give them the chance to put things right while you're there, rather than telling TripAdvisor about it afterwards. And tip whatever you can afford. It's never expected always appreciated and right now as hospitality recovers will really make a difference so thank you people of hospitality you're more amazing and frankly more indispensable than you could ever know just before i go i'd like to ask that if you're in a position to you'll consider supporting one of the many brilliant charities working tirelessly to ensure that children disadvantaged families and the homeless don't go hungry during the pandemic such as magic breakfast fair share street smart and the trussell trust that's it for this week thanks ever so much for listening if you'd like to get in touch you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com And I hope you'll join me next week for more of Hugh's Joy of Food.